Hello, and thank you once again for joining me in discussing more serial killers. We're always here to dig deep into the minds of unsuspected serial killers. This week, we're going international and we're traveling to Canada. But before we do that, viewers' discretion is advised because we're talking about murder, violence, and possible drug use. Let's get into it and talk about David Kruger. David Michael Kruger, also known by his birth name, Peter Woodcock, was born on March 5, 1939 in Peterborough, Ontario, to a 17-year-old factory worker, Wade Woodcock, who gave him up for adoption after breastfeeding him for a month. Adoption agency records report that the newborn Peter showed feeding problems and cried constantly. As an infant, he stayed in various foster homes, unable to bond with any of his foster parents. After his first birthday, he became terrified of anybody approaching him, and his speech was incoherent, described as strange whining animal noises. He was also physically abused by at least one of his early foster parents, with a two-year-old woodcock having to be given medical treatment for an injured neck after receiving a beating. He was placed into a stable home at the age of three with foster parents Frank and Susan Maynard, an upper-middle-class couple with another son. Susan Maynard, who was described as, quote, forceful woman with exaggerated sense of priority, end quote, became strongly attached to the maladjusted child who would still scream when someone approached him. By the age of five, Woodcock remained socially maladjusted and became the target of neighborhood bullies. Worry about the child's fragile emotional state, Frank and Susan Maynard would regularly bring him to the hospital for sick children, where Woodcock would seek intensive treatment. Woodcock was sent to a private school, but again failed to make friends or interact successfully with his peers and remained isolated. By the age of 11, he was described as, quote, an angry child. A child's aid society report on him from the time read, slight and bill, Neat in appearance, eyes bright and wide open, worried facial expression, sometimes screwed up eyes, walks briskly and erect, moves rapidly, dart ahead, interested in questions constantly in conversations. He attributes his wanders to feelings so nerves that he just has to get away. In some ways, Peter has little capacity for self-control. He appears to act out almost everything he thinks and demonstrates excessive affection for his foster mother. Although he verbalizes his resentment for other children, he has never been known to physically attack another child. Peter apparently has no friends. He plays occasionally with younger children, managing to play. When with children his own age, he is boastful and expresses determinedly ideas which are unaccepted and misunderstood. End quote. Signs of Woodcock's violent fantasies were present in this time also, seen when a social worker was walking with him at the Canadian National Exhibit and Woodcock muttered, quote, I wish a bomb would fall on the exhibit and kill all the children, end quote. Woodcock was sent to a school for emotional disturbed children in Kingston, Ontario, and began acting on his strong sexual urges with other children with Woodcock stating that here he had consensual intercourse with a 12-year-old girl when he was 13. When he turned 15, he was discharged from this school and returned to live with his foster parents, but was soon re-enrolled at his original private school, where he again failed to connect with his peers. At the age of 16, he left the private school again and was sent to a public high school where children from the neighborhood instantly recognized him and resumed the bullying. He transferred to a private high school six weeks later. 
While his peers again shunned him, his teachers there remembered him as a very bright student who excelled in science, history, and English, and who frequently scored 100% on his test. Peter Woodcock's prized possession was a red and white bicycle on which he satisfied his continued compulsion to wander. He rode the bike to the far reaches of the city, even during the deep, cold Toronto winters, and evolved a fantasy in which he led a gang of 500 invisible boys on bikes called the Winchester Hike Gang. His false appearance were aware of his fantasy and his compulsion to wander, but they were unaware that he had begun traveling around Toronto on his bike and sexually assaulting children. On September 15, 1956, 17-year-old Woodcock was riding his bike around the grounds of the Exhibition Palace when he met 7-year-old Wayne Mullet. He lured the boy out of sight, then proceeded to strangle him to death. Mallet's body was found in the early hours of September 16th. It appeared that his clothing had been removed and he had then been redressed. His face was pushed into the dirt and two bite marks were found on the body, one on the boy's calf and the other on his buttocks. There was no evidence of rape, however. Pennies were found scattered near the body. Woodcock had defecated next to the victim as well. Toronto police initially arrested and interrogated another boy, Ron Moffitt. Through relentless questioning, they extracted a confession from the 14-year-old Moffat. Despite witnesses who clearly placed him in the movie theater before and after the, the murder of Wayne Mullet, he was found guilty and sentenced to youth detention. Eventually, police acknowledged there were was a serial predator in Toronto, but Moffat was not released. However, when notes were shared between forces, Woodcock was arrested. After his conviction, Woodcock was called as a defense witness for Muffet. The wrongful murder charge stayed in 1957, and Muffet was released from custody. On October 6, 1956, Woodcock was riding his bike around Cabbage Town when he picked up 9-year-old Gary Morris. He then drove the boy to Cherry Beach where he strangled and beat him to death with a coroner later determined that Morris had died from a ruptured liver. Morris's body was found with a bite mark on his throat and this time paper clips seemed to have been ritualistically sprinkled near the corpse. Again, the clothing had been removed from the victim and then he had been redressed. On January 19, 1957, Woodcock was again riding his bike when he approached four-year-old Carol Voice and offered her a ride. He then drove her under the Bloor viaduct and murdered her. When she was found, her clothes had been pulled off. It appeared that she had been choked into unconsciousness and sexually molested and that her death was caused by a tree branch being forcefully inserted into her vagina. Witnesses saw a teenager cycling away from Carol Voice's crime scene and an accurate composite sketch was created based on those witnesses' descriptions. This sketch ran on the front page of the Toronto Star and would lead to Wilcox's arrest on January 21, 1957, and his subsequent confession to all three murders. He recalled upon his arrest, quote, My fear was that mother would find out. Mother was my biggest fear. I didn't know if the police would let her at me, end quote. Woodstock was tried only for the murder of Carol Voice, on April 11, 1957, after a four-day trial, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was sent to the Oak Ridge Division of the Maximum Security Waypoint Sentry for mental health care. 
While imprisoned, Woodcock was diagnosed as a psychopath. He underwent various forms of psychiatric therapy, including LSD treatments, when they were popular in the 1960s. Woodstock did not respond well to these treatments and was not an ideal prisoner. He engaged in sexual acts and exploited his fellow inmates who were often less intelligent or less sane than he was. He convinced inmates that he had contact with an imaginary gang called the Brotherhood on the outside and that in order to be initiated, inmates had to perform oral sex on him and bring him gifts of cigarettes. Woodstock was eventually transferred to less restrictive institutions and ultimately arrived at the Brookville Psychiatric Hospital. Here, staff indulged his passion for trains by taking him to the Smith, Hill, Smith Falls Railroad Museum and even took him to see the signs of the Lamb. During this time, he legally changed his name to David Michael Kruger and rekindled a relationship with Bruce Hamill an Ottawa killer who had been released from Oak Ridge and was working as a security guard at the Ottawa courthouse. Kruger convinced Hamwell, an alien brotherhood who solved his problems if he helped him kill another Brookville inmate, Dennis Kerr. On July 13, 1991, Bruce Hamill went to a hardware store, brought a plumber's wrench, hatchet, knives, and a sleeping bag, then went to the Brookville Hospital and signed out the 52-year-old Kruger on his first public escort day pass. Within the first hour of his first unsupervised release in 34 years, Kruger arranged to meet Dennis Kerr in the woods. When Dennis Kerr arrived, Kruger struck him in the head with the pipe wrench and continued to beat him into unconsciousness. Kruger and Hamill then seized the hatchet and knife they had hidden in the bushes while waiting for Kerr's arrival and hacked and stabbed Kerr, mutilating his body, nearly severing his head, and sodomized the corpse. Kruger then left the scene, walked into a police station about two miles away, and turned himself in. For the murder of Dennis Kerr, Kruger was transferred back to the Oak Ridge Division of Waypoint Center for Medical Health Care, where he had spent the majority of his 34 preceding years in custody. On March 5, 2010, on his 71st birthday, Kruger died of natural causes. Whew, I know that was a lot to take in, guys. Believe me, it was a lot for me to take in and to read all of this and how this sick person killed three kids and didn't even go to jail for none of them. But obviously his traumatic past led up to this very unfortunate lifestyle. And you know, as I always say, it's not instant karma, but it's karma. He died on his 75th birthday. Um, thank you guys for joining me again this week and listening to another horrid tale of a unidentified or unsuspected serial killer. As I always tell you guys, be careful who you talk to. You never know who they killed. See you guys next week. Bye.